share that briefly here this morning. This word has come from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 210, and I've called it Extreme Makeover. You might be wondering why I showed you that clip. It's a, it's a clip from a show called Extreme Home Makeover. Many of you have probably seen it before. And as you saw, the concept of the show is quite simple. They find one family who's in an extremely difficult situation. This morning, the clip was from an episode with Carol and her family, where she's a single mom. And she's having difficulty fulfilling her duties as a mom because there are too many stairs in her home. And not only that, but she's nearing the possibility, the reality, that she's going to lose her business, her passion in life, what she feels that she has been called to do, because she simply can't make it up the stairs to get to her dance studio. So the team here of developers, designers, Contractors, builders, they find these individuals in need, they rally a community behind them, and they completely make over their home. They give them hope, and they make over the family's home, and in doing so, they make over that family's life. As I was preparing for this morning, I felt like the Lord was saying to me that that is exactly what he has done with our lives. Each and every one of us this morning that call ourselves followers of Jesus have experienced an extreme makeover of the spiritual kind. In our text this morning, Paul says that God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were found dead in our transgressions. That's only a five minute clip from a two hour episode. Anytime I watch that show, I need a box of Kleenex with me because I will cry. The transformation that people experience is just absolutely incredible. And I felt like the Lord was calling us to this fresh revelation of what he has done for us in a spiritual sense. That I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I'm a sinner that falls short of the glory of God, but by the blood of Jesus, I am made the righteousness of God. I am a new creation because of a merciful and loving God. My home has not been remodeled, but by the Holy Spirit, I have been reborn. Well, that's something to get excited about. Come on, I have been reborn by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus describes exactly that, a spiritual makeover. So would you join me in Ephesians chapter 1? We're going to read a little bit more this morning than we usually do, but I want to assure you that the chapters and the verses were added after the letter was written. This is one thought that should be addressed altogether. Starting in 115, we're going to make our way to 210. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every single name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, say all things, and appointed him to be head over everything, say everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, 
you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were dead. Oh, come on. You were dead. There we go. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We are God's worksmanship created in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I have a few thoughts that I'd like to share with you this morning, and the first one is this. Begin with thankfulness. You know, the book of Ephesians is a unique book in that it's Paul's only letter that's not written in crisis. In nearly all of Paul's letters, his intent is to address some sort of crisis in a church. Uh, uh, We all have those people in our lives who we might call difficult people, but that doesn't mean it's unhealthy. Difficult people sometimes make us better, right? They point out our shortcomings. They help us to course correct. But every once in a while, when we get that email or that phone call from a difficult individual, we might have the initial thought of, what have I done now? What have I missed now? And I wonder, for the early church, if that might have been the case when Paul wrote you a letter. Because almost every recording that we have from Paul writing to the churches is there's some sort of moral issue. There's something that's going wrong. There's something that's creeping into the church that you need to defend against. But that is not the case in Ephesians. Rather, several commentators have actually suggested that Paul isn't likely to have ever met the people in the church of Ephesus. Instead, he's just writing to them because he's heard about what God has done in their life. He's heard about the transformational experience that they've had, and he's writing to let them know that he's thankful for them, that he is thanking God for them. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement intended for the church, and it's a model or a blueprint of what the church is intended to be. It's essentially this one big note of praise and worship for how great God is and how he demonstrates that goodness through his church. Let's take a look specifically at verses 15 to 18. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The first thing that we'd like to, I'd like to dwell on this morning is Paul's thankfulness. He thanks God for the believers that he hasn't met. 
He's thankful that things are going well for them. He's thankful that those believers in that church are blessed. Now, as Ephesians is a model for the church today, I'd like to suggest to you that as a church and as individuals who make up the church, we need to be thankful for other believers and their blessings. Some of us, myself included, have fallen into a trap where it's difficult for us to say thank you, God, at least initially, when we see somebody else being blessed and we feel like that blessing should belong to us. Isn't that true? Every once in a while, maybe, maybe there's somebody and, and you see that they got a job, but you're unemployed. It's difficult for our initial response to be, thank you, God, for blessing them. Somebody else gets a raise and you get a bill. It might not be our natural response to say, thank you, God. Thank you that they got it. Maybe somebody got saved and they've been a jerk to you for the last decade. It might be hard initially in our natural flesh response to say, thank you, God. Here's one for pastors, okay? Uh, Their church is growing. What about mine? Paul is modeling for us that our response to the blessing of God for others still needs to be thankfulness in spite of our own circumstance, in spite of how we're feeling. This is a little bit easier for us to accept from Paul when we understand that Paul's actually writing this letter to a group of people that he's never met before while he's shackled in jail, right? Like what most of us would consider one of the worst circumstances that we can find ourselves in, that we're shackled in jail. Paul hears that it's going well for somebody else, and his initial sincere response is a prayer where he says, I am thankful for the blessing that you're experiencing in Jesus Christ, They already have the Holy Spirit, but he prays for an increase of revelation, an increase of blessing, and an increase of experience that they would know and they would continue to grow in the knowledge of God. Our response to the blessing of others needs to be this, church, thankfulness. Because when we thank God for the blessing of others, we also remind ourselves of our own identity. God saved us for a purpose. God saved you for a purpose, and he has a destiny for us. Verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What is the hope that he has called you to? The glorious inheritance. So what is this inheritance that Paul is speaking of? Often when we talk about an inheritance, we're talking about uh, salvation, about eternity, about uh, the, the kingdom, a heavenly city, but that's not what Paul is referring to here in this instant. Instance. Paul is referring to God's inheritance, and he says that we are God's inheritance. The glorious inheritance is that we belong to God. We are his. Paul reminds the Ephesians, Paul reminds us what a glorious and privileged and honored status we have because he calls us his own. Our identity is found in God. Church, let's practice thankfulness, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, because when someone else gets what you feel like should be your blessing, and you feel like you're stuck in prison, I would like for you to practice thankfulness. When we don't, we miss out on a blessing that God has for us. When we don't, we get caught focusing on what we feel should belong to us, instead of who we belong to. A merciful, loving God that had a plan to adopt you and call you his own. 
You are a daughter of the living God. You are a son of the living God. And apart from a few terms, this letter in Ephesians could be written to the modern church. It's about us. It describes human beings. It describes their predicament and their sin. But much more, it describes how God reached out to people to recreate and transform them. It's about power and identity. It describes the power that God's Spirit gives for living. Who we are without Christ, but who we became with Christ. Secondly, this morning, I'd like to suggest to you that you have access to power. Verses 19 to 23. And his, incomparab- and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things, say all things, under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything, say everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As a church, I mean here at Glad Tidings specifically, I'd say that we've become comfortable with the idea of the power of God. And not in an unhealthy way. Not in a way that we treat it um, uh, as, as, as something that's not amazing or astounding. But, but what I mean by that is that we're comfortable with the power of God in the sense that, in the sense that we see it rooted in Scripture... And we experience it. We know that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. That's what the Bible teaches us. We know that Jesus said that we would do even greater things than he. We know that the purpose of Pentecost was to empower believers for ministry. We read about Peter, who under his own strength denied Jesus, denied knowing Jesus three times and hid away. But under the power of the Holy Spirit, he went out and preached a sermon in a language that he had never spoken before, and thousands Thousands of people came to know Jesus as their personal Savior. That's the power of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, so we're not just comfortable with the idea of the power of God, but we desire it. We seek it. We respond to it. But these words in Paul's letter would have held special meaning to the church in Ephesus. You see, Ephesus was located in southwest Asia Minor, which was an area of the world at that time that had a flourishing uh, culture of witchcraft, cults, and a variety of astrological beliefs. In addition to that, there was this common fear among people that these dark spiritual practices were actually aggressive and hostile toward one another. And so there would be this fear that that these other uh, religions, these people did not get along. These other religions were speaking over them and cursing them and, and denouncing them. And they lived in this spirit of fear. It was so common to be afraid of other religious practices. And so in Paul's letter, he emphasizes the supremacy of God's power, which was demonstrated through Christ's resurrection and exaltation to a position of authority over all things. What does that mean? It means in light of Christ's supremacy over all things, Christians need not live in fear. 
You need not live in fear, church. I want to tell you a story that I heard this week. Um, Sam and uh, Johanna shared it with me and uh, with Stephanie. They have a church that they attend in the States when they go down to Florida during the wintertime, and they hold church services on the beach. And there are other groups of people that gather on the beach as well, of course. And there was actually a shaman that would show up every time that they had a church service. And that shaman would come over to where they were having their service, and they would the shaman would be begin to chant and curse the people holding a church service. And they could feel like there was this dark spiritual force that was coming against them. And every time that this happened, the pastor began to sing hymns about the blood of Jesus. And when he sang hymns about the blood of Jesus, this shaman physically could not remain. They, they told me that it was like he had to slink away. He couldn't remain in the presence because he held no authority over the blood of Jesus. Now, it didn't mean that he never came back. It didn't mean that he didn't try again. He did multiple times. But every time they talked about the blood of Jesus, he had to leave. Now, although our culture... Uh, uh, differs from the first century Ephesians uh, in the sense that that's not commonplace. I'd say that in, in Ephesus, that would be something that you would see relatively commonly. That you, but we're probably not going to see that sort of thing happen in downtown Arnprior. If you go this afternoon to the truck stop, you're probably not going to encounter something like that happening. I think the enemy still certainly does have his tricks. There are still certainly dark spiritual powers. I think his most common tactic today is to lull us into this sense of, well, that's not real. That's just made up for my, for my entertainment and for me to laugh at and just, just give me this sense of this laissez-faire attitude towards dark spiritual practices. And he just tries to convince us that, that he doesn't exist or that he doesn't hold any influence over people in this world. But the truth remains that we still not need to live in fear because Christ is still victorious. There is nothing that doesn't come under the authority of the blood of Jesus. The Word does not teach us that some things come under the blood of Jesus. The Word does not teach us that Christ was placed uh, supreme over most things. The Word does not teach us that Christ is supreme over some things. The Word teaches us that Christ is victorious and supreme above all things. So this morning, if you are experiencing a spirit of fear, if there is a spirit of fear that is blocking your intimacy with Father God or your response to Him as you step out in faith, I want to just replace that fear with truth this morning and say that there is nothing that doesn't come under the authority of the blood of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to break that off. We're going to continue in the Word with the next point. It kind of piggybacks onto the other. It's two in one here. First, it's you've been transformed. And the next is you have a destiny. Let's start with you've been transformed in verses 1 1 to 7. We talked about how Ephesians is about power and identity. In this short letter, Paul explicitly writes at least five times about what we used to be like and now what we're like by the grace of God. The text is riddled with these huge then and now statements You were dead in your sin, but now you are alive in Christ. The transformation is astonishing, then and now. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. 
all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ that we would be seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Don't let that pass you by. That's a huge statement. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to Christ in Christ Jesus. But Paul doesn't end there. He instructs us that as transformed, reborn individuals, our new life must lead us somewhere. Right? As a transformed individual, as a transformed uh, church, our lives must lead us somewhere. It must lead us to the destiny that God has preordained for us to fulfill as long as we have breath. Ephesians is a book about who we are, who God is, and what we need to do about it. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, for we are God's craftsmanship, worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have been transformed in order that we might live out our destiny. You are destined Church, to be destined, to destine is to designate, assign, dedicate in advance, to direct, devise, or set apart for a specific purpose or place. You are destined, and destiny implies a destination. God has a determined course for your life that he wants to lead you on as it, on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And part of the purpose of that prayer is to bring us into agreement with the destiny that he has for our lives. Yes, we have free will, and yes, we are predestined as followers of Jesus Christ. He's predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So we have free will, and we're predestined to be conformed to be like Jesus. So it's not one or the other, it's both and. God has a specific purpose for your life. He has a general purpose for all of our lives, but he has a specific purpose for you, that he created you with unique abilities and gifts and a specific purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared good works in advance for you to do and for me to do. We are made with purpose. We are created in Christ Jesus, the worksmanship of God. He crafted us. His hands are on us. He's shaping us. You know, the prophet Jeremiah had an encounter with God where God revealed to him that he's like a potter and we're like the clay. And he shapes us as he sees fit and positions us and fills us with unique gifts and deposits so that we can accomplish something that no one else can. So church, don't discount yourself. If you're saying to yourself, well, God doesn't need me or well, God can use somebody else, it might be 
true that God can use somebody else, but he's not going to use somebody else to do the things that he's predestined for you to do. Maybe you're not saying amen because it's just blowing your mind. I just have to sit and take it in. This isn't just about a destiny that makes us feel good about ourselves so that we can puff up our chest and say, look at me. No, no, no. It's about a destiny that you can fulfill what God has placed in you. The prayers of a righteous man, the Bible says, are powerful and effective. God's power is released when we pray. In other words, if we don't pray, that power and the effects aren't released into earth. We can make a difference. You can make a difference. You have been placed here, church, to make a difference. You're not just meandering through life, waiting for some sort of random opportunity to maybe do some good, to maybe not, to maybe fulfill a purpose, to maybe not, and then eventually just die. We're not just filling time until heaven. That's not what we're here for. You were born into time and place by God's design. You were placed into your family with oversight and direction. Some of you are like, thanks. (laughs) But God placed you. God placed you. All of the things that have happened to us, the good, the bad, the neutral, all of it is being worked together for the good if you love God and you are called to his purpose. How many people here this morning love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you are called to his purpose. All right, that one's for free. All right, if you love Jesus, you are called to his purpose. And that means God is working everything in your life. That doesn't mean everything in your life that happens is good, but God works it for good. And that is how good God is. When you give your life to Jesus, he gives you an assignment that you were called to. So many of us have fallen into this trap of just filling our days with mindless entertainment and pointless amusement. But the child of God has been raised with Christ, the Apostle Paul says. that We have been raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. I so appreciate the early Pentecostalism and, and the holiness movement. I know that at some point it became somewhat legalistic about a list of rules of, of do's and, and don'ts. And, and that was certainly too much of an extreme. But early Pentecostalism... Pentecostalism was not about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. It was about why would I waste my time doing something else when God has called me to something because Jesus is coming back. God has called us to something, church. We've been raised with Christ and seated in heavenly places. Look at that text. We, it's not we will be, we have been. We have been raised with Christ. God raised us with Christ when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He raised us with Christ and seated us in heavenly places. That is not a future reality. That is a present reality. Now, my experience with that might have a lot to do with my level of understanding of spiritual things, but I need to recognize that God has raised me with Christ, says the word of God, seated me with him in heavenly places so that I can actually know the riches of his incomparable grace. Meaning what? God actually wants me to have an eternal perspective so that I can live my life now to the full. I want to live my life to the full. I want to do the most for God that I can. I want my life to make the greatest impact that it can. And under that, with that understanding, I know that my time isn't just my own. I recognize that when I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life, he actually took me seriously. Whoa. 
When I invited Jesus to be the Lord of my life, he became the Lord of my life. He took over my life, not in a weird, possessive, I don't make my own decisions anymore, but in the sense that every day is his, that he calls me to be a disciple and to lay down my own cross and pick up his, to lay down my own will and pick up his. It's not like I prayed a prayer once a long time ago saying, uh, you know, Lord, I gave you my life and that was that moment and now we're here and now I'm just waiting until heaven comes. No, it's a current, present reality I'm following close after the one who's leading my life because he's Lord and I'm not. He's Lord and I'm not. Our perspective and priorities are to be different as children of God. If we've actually been raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places, our view on how we do life needs to be different how we fill our time, what we do with life, our view of what we do with what we accomplish and accumulate in life, our view on wealth, our view on time, our view on relationships, our view on purpose is radically different than someone who is only living to make money and buy stuff. It's going to be radically different. Now, I'm not calling entertainment wrong, but I am calling us to give our time and our hearts and our purposes to God first. We need to have a radically different perspective. And we do have a different perspective that we need to tap into. If we've been raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places, that's a different perspective on here and now. Why waste time? Because I've got something to do with my life. And it's not my plan, it's his. It's a good work that he has called me to do in advance. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I'm going to close in just a moment here. I don't know how many of you were here last week when Paul and Lynn Coles was sharing, um, was sharing about uh, their missionary work at Pan-Africa Christian University, and they just shared some testimonies about, about their students and what God has done in their lives. And there was one in particular that just shook me. It just shook me to the core, and it was about this girl. When she was 17 years old, she joined a youth discipleship program. And while she was there, she felt like God called her to build a hospital with a culture that fears God. What blows my mind isn't that she's accomplishing that now. Of course she's accomplishing that now. But at that moment in her life, she wasn't qualified to do that. She wasn't able to do that. She was 17 years old. She hadn't gone to medical school. She hadn't wrote public policy, as she does now. She hadn't built a hospital, which she is doing right now. But she was just willing to say, God, I hear what you're calling me to do, and I'm saying yes to you. That's it. Church, this isn't about finding some other project to add to our list, but saying yes to God and saying, I'm going to make room for you because you are the Lord of my life. And so if you direct me to do something, my response is yes, regardless of if I have the tools to do it now, regardless if I have the finances, regardless if I have the time, the skills, the knowledge, whatever. Remember, the prophet Jeremiah had an encounter with God where he said, I'm the potter and you're the clay and he's shaping you and he's filling you with the passions and the tools and the skill sets and the unique abilities that you need so that it overflows and that it impacts a nation around. And now that girl who was 17 years old who just was bold enough to say yes is impacting a nation. I think that's amazing. And here at our church, we value that. 
You know, we don't have a, a fun, catchy word or phrase that we're, that we're using yet. But it's about missional living. It's about incarnational living. It's just about putting ourselves open before the Lord and saying, God, what are you saying to me? And yes, my answer to you is yes. Because I know what I was before, and I know what I am now, and I know that you didn't do that just so that, just for me to fill time now, but you have actually preordained good works for me to do, that I am your craftsmanship, I am your worksmanship. You have given me everything that I need to accomplish your specific purpose for my life. So church, would you stand with me? We're going to begin to just play instrumentally, and we'll sing in just a moment. The church, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond I wonder if just for the moment, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes and have a private moment between you and the Lord. And I wonder if you would be willing to just say, God, I surrender my own will to yours. I just want to open myself to you. Not in a weird, new agey sort of way, but I just want to understand and and have fresh, fresh revelation of what you have done in my life. And I want to tell my own soul that you are the Lord. You are in charge. And so whatever it is that you are calling me to this morning, to live out here and now for this time that you have prepared already in advance for us to do, I say yes. Just take a moment and seek the Lord. Some of you may have felt like the Lord has already told you a while ago and you haven't responded. And maybe that reason that you haven't responded is because of a spirit of fear, is because you don't have those tools yet, is because you haven't gone to medical school and don't know how to build a hospital yet. And there's this spirit of fear that holds you back. And so this morning, if you feel like the Lord has called you to do something and you simply haven't responded because of fear that you might fail, out of fear that you might be wrong, out of feel that, fear that it, it just doesn't go as planned. I wonder, just as an expression of what the Lord is doing on the inside, that you would, that you would, uh, that you would just place your hands out this morning to Him like this. And you would just repeat that, God, you have raised me with Christ and seated me in heavenly places. You are supreme over all. The blood of Jesus is victorious over all. And we replace the lie that we can't do it. We replace the lie that from the enemy that, that, that it's not going to go well with the truth that whatever God has called us to do, God will make a way because he's made it already. This morning, if you feel like this word wasn't for you because you have not given your life to Jesus, say, because I'm not a Christian, so this doesn't apply to me. I want to remind you that God sent Jesus, his son, his one and only son, to die for you because he loves you. And just like the call to respond to the preordained works that he has called us to, all we have to do is say yes to Jesus. 
Jesus, I confess you with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you died for me. I give my life to you. You are my Lord and Savior. And I ask that you would lead us this morning. In Jesus' name. Church, we're just going to respond by worshiping the Lord for some time now. If you would like to just come forward and have somebody pray for you, maybe there's something that you'd like to talk through or pray through, or just have somebody to agree with you, or maybe you just want to come forward and seek the Lord in worship and spirit and truth, feel free to do that now. If you have to go, uh, please be blessed as you dismiss yourselves. But if you haven't had an encounter with the Lord and you feel like there's something that you need to experience, don't run off. Seek it this morning.